The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, the director at Sally's work is loading work on top of her. It's a really busy time of the year. But Sally's mum, who's overseas, is really sick. And Sally goes up to the director and asks for leave. But the director says, no, it's too busy. Meanwhile, the director gets a call on his phone. My son, my baby, oh, he's fallen over, hurt his ankle. Oh, okay. Tells the secretary. Cancel all appointments for the rest of the day. Put in my calendar. I'm going to go look after my son. If you were Sally, how would you feel about your director? If you were Sally, what would you say to him? <laughs> in Luke chapter 14, we get a story about the big wigs. People who've got power over other people. How they treat other people with the power they've got. And their double standards. In this series, at the forum, we're looking at Four tips to getting a seat at the table. Today, to ask the right questions. Now, in your workplace, around the meeting table, what role do you play? Are you the ideas person? Or are you the side tracker? Or maybe like me, are you the quiet note taker? What role do you play at the workplace? Or you want to look smart at the table at work, to get ahead, to get promoted, to get a seat maybe at the management table or the executive level, your ability to ask the right questions just might help you get there. Albert Einstein said this, if I had one hour to solve a problem, I'd spend the first 55 minutes to work out the proper question to ask. Because once I determine the proper question to ask, then I'd spend the last five minutes determining the solution. I think I'd be more than five minutes determining the solution. Your ability to ask the right question is a great skill to have. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus asked two killer questions. The wider context of our story in Luke 14 begins in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 where Jesus is resolutely headed towards Jerusalem and his dark destiny in Jerusalem to die. But that destiny is still some time off when he's here in Luke chapter 14 verse 1. Nevertheless, the setting here is a hostile one when we consider three things. Firstly, the company he's with. Secondly, the issue of the Sabbath. And thirdly, the peculiar circumstances of a suffering man being in their company. All these combined to form the setting for a setup. Firstly, the company Jesus with. Jesus, verse 1, is in the home of a Pharisee. And not just any ordinary Pharisee, a prominent Pharisee. And verse 2, we see that Jesus is also in the company of other Pharisees and experts in the law. Now, who are these Pharisees and experts in the law? 
The Pharisees were a religious sect of people passionate about obeying the law of God. The experts in the law were the religious leaders who taught people this law of God. Jesus was in the company of important, influential, religious, elite people. And he was in their company for a meal, reclining back, and I think the original says, eating bread. If they were Vietnamese, they'd be eating fur. If they were Chinese, we'd say, I'll them that. They'd be that. But this is far from a warm, hospitable meal because a religious issue was at stake. The second element of this controversy was that it's all happening on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a a special day of the week according to the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament part of the Bible. Commandments about how to treat God and commandments about how to treat people. This commandment about the Sabbath, commandment number four, happens to be about both God and people. In the fifth book of the Old Testament, a book called Deuteronomy, this commandment about the Sabbath says three things. Firstly, the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, was a day set aside to honour God. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12 says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Secondly, the Sabbath day was the climax of the week. You know, to work hard all through the week and then look forward to the holiday, a day of rest from work. So the rest of the commandment reads, Honour, you shall not do any work, neither you or your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, or your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, or any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. The Sabbath was a day of rest, not only for you, not only for everyone in your family, even for your servant and your animals, and even for the foreigner who might happen to be in your home. Thirdly, the Sabbath was also a weekly reminder of freedom. Verse 15, Deuteronomy chapter 5 says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The third element of the Sabbath was for the people of Israel to remember they were treated harshly as slaves in Egypt. Observing the Sabbath will remind them of their freedom from slavery. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law, these religious leaders, were going to use their particular interpretation of this Sabbath law to trap Jesus with the third key element to their setup, the presence of a suffering man. Just in front of Jesus, there happens to be a man suffering from a medical condition called dropsy or edema, which is characterised by abnormal swelling of the body. And was it a coincidence that this man suffering from this disease just happened to be in all this elite religious company? No, he was planted there. 
verse 1, before we even know of the existence of this suffering man in verse 2, verse 1, Luke tells us, Jesus was being carefully watched. This was a setup. In this context, with this setting of a setup, Jesus asks his first question. And he asks just the right question. And before we get to that, I had to think about our Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, who's had several successful careers before becoming Prime Minister. Uh, you might know that he used to be a young lawyer. I've got a picture of him as a young lawyer, still with puppy fat. And as a young lawyer, he was better than Tom Cruise in A Few Good Men. You remember Tom Cruise in A Few Good Men, who's up against Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, who is Colonel Nathan R. Jessup, and the military establishment. Instead, uh, Malcolm Turnbull was up against Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, and the British government, in a case called the Spycatcher case. And Thatcher sent her emissary, Sir Robert Armstrong, and Turnbull, he's in his 20s, questions Armstrong. Here is the selected transcript. I don't know how to do an impression of Turnbull. Turnbull. What is the difference between a misleading impression and a lie? Armstrong. A lie is a straight untruth. Turnbull. What is a misleading impression then? A sort of bent untruth? Armstrong. It is perhaps being economical with the truth. With the right question, Turnbull got Armstrong to admit that the British government had lied. Jesus, in the company of religious leaders on the Sabbath, set up with a suffering man in front of him, asked just the right question, verse 3. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? What do the religious leaders think is the answer to Jesus' question, whether it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They think it's unlawful. They think that if Jesus were to heal on the Sabbath, he would be working. And so break the fourth commandment. But when Jesus asks the question, how do they respond? Verse 4, they remain silent. Now why do you think they remain silent? because they want Jesus to heal the man and in their eyes break the Sabbath so that they can condemn him. This is the setup that they're waiting for. And yet, even knowing their intentions, even knowing that it's a setup, what does Jesus do? Jesus, verse 4, taking hold of the man, healed him. Jesus doesn't sidestep the setup and wait till the next day to heal the man. He could easily do that. What's another day? Jesus jumps in, heals the man, falls into their trap deliberately. He does what he wants. Heal the man out of compassion. He does what the religious leaders want. Fall into their trap so that they can condemn him. After healing the man, Jesus sent him on his way. And why? Because this man has served his purpose of being a pawn used by the religious leaders to traffic Jesus. Jesus sends him away, perhaps out of harm's way too, 
if this was a volleyball game, have you ever played volleyball? Jesus' first question about the legality of healing on the Sabbath sets the point up. You know when you play volleyball, I think, um, I think you put your hand like this and you go boom, and you, put it, you set it nice and high so that your teammate, with Jesus' second question, his follow-up question, can go kaboom, nail the opponent. With the second question, Jesus says, verse 5, which of you... If your child or your ox falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull it out. The religious leaders seeking to condemn Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Well, if it was their child, if it was even one of their domestic animals, like an ox that was stuck in trouble on the Sabbath day, stuck in a hole in a well, surely they'd rescue it. In fact, notice, will you not immediately pull it out? You would instinctively do that. They would rescue it immediately. Jesus goes to the heart of things with his second question. Jesus has exposed their double standards. They would not hesitate to do what they want to condemn Jesus for doing. The only difference being that they care for their child or even their pet, but this suffering man of God, who cares what he's got? We don't give a fig about him. Jesus has exposed their hypocrisy. What's their response to Jesus' follow-up question? Verse 6, once again, silence. They have nothing to say. How good is this story? I love it. From this story, let's draw four conclusions this afternoon. Firstly, Jesus is my dead-set hero. How good is it? Uh, better than Malcolm Turnbull with his master questioning, better than Tom Cruise, you can handle the truth. Jesus, who is set up, instead does the setting up with his first question and then his second question. Jesus turns the tables on his opponents. Don't you love it when the guy you're backing wins and wins so defiantly? Jesus heals the man and beats his opponents. Jesus is my dead set hero. Secondly, the Sabbath. In another part of the Bible, in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus says to a similar group of Pharisees who seek to condemn him there, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath, Jesus says, was made for people to enjoy, for people to be free from work. How good is it to look forward to the weekend to be free from work? How sad is it to work on the weekend? The Sabbath is all about having a break, a holiday from work. It's so good. In Luke chapter 6 verse 5, Jesus says, the Son of Man, referring to himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says he is the boss, the King the Lord of the Sabbath. And don't we see it in Luke chapter 14? Jesus doesn't let himself get bullied, pushed around by these big wigs. He doesn't submit himself to their restrictive view of what should and shouldn't be done on the Sabbath. He goes on right ahead and does the right thing out of compassion, healing the man. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. The fourth commandment about the Sabbath is about enjoying life. 
enjoying working hard, but also enjoying rest. God's pattern in the Bible is not for people to be workaholics, to work every day. God's pattern is to work hard and to take a day to rest with Jesus as the Lord of this Sabbath. The third reflection is how not to treat people. How not to treat people like the religious leaders to whom this man suffering from a disease was just a pawn. This suffering man who they didn't care about was just to be used by them to reach their ends of setting Jesus up for a trap. Like some religious leaders in our story this afternoon, some people in our lives use their power over other people for their own purposes. Maybe in your workplace, Maybe in government, maybe in your home, maybe even in religious institutions that people belong to, where those in power treat other people worse than they treat their pet. In this story, the religious leaders would instinctively free their pet and yet condemn Jesus for healing a human being they miss the third point of the Sabbath that I shared before from Deuteronomy, the redemptive, saving purpose of the Sabbath. Remember, the people of Israel to keep the Sabbath to remember that God had rescued them from slavery, oppressive slavery in Egypt. By observing the Sabbath, they could remember the freedom they enjoyed. Here, Jesus frees someone from a medical disease. Today's story reminds us that people matter. Whatever we're involved with, people always come first. Our treatment of people is first priority. Their welfare is our first priority. They aren't a means to another end. People are means and ends in themselves. And Jesus is the great model, isn't he? He doesn't wait another day to heal this man. He doesn't sidestep being trapped. He goes on right ahead and heals him. Jesus touches him. Jesus touches someone who would have been considered a pariah of society, unclean. In the presence of all of them condemning him, Jesus touches him and heals him and sends him on his way. Fourthly, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, I looked up, means the practice of claiming to have higher standards or more noble beliefs than is the case. Jesus exposes the experts in the law and the Pharisees as hypocrites. Like the story of Sally and her director. They've got one standard of behaviour for themselves and the people they love and another standard for other people. And yet, when we consider the issue of hypocrisy, aren't we all hypocrites? Don't we all think more of ourselves, our children, anything that belongs to us, than other people? Who isn't guilty of applying a higher standard to themselves, to, to other people, uh, and a lower standard when it comes to themselves in terms of behaviour? 
Don't we all look down our nose on other people and condemn them for what they do and how they treat other people, thinking to ourselves, ah, I would never treat people like that. And yet, really, surely we are all hypocrites. I have a certificate of hypocrisy. This certificate of hypocrisy reads like this. This award certifies that the following named person, Tor Duk Lu, is a hypocrite of the first order for saying one thing and doing just the opposite. I'm a hypocrite. But Jesus is not a hypocrite with double standards. I want to invite you this afternoon, if you've never taken the opportunity, to have a read of Jesus' teaching and to explore his actions in the Bible. Please uh, grab a gospel of Luke that we've got on the information table. See what Jesus says, how he should treat people, and see whether he lives up to his own high standards. And if you haven't got a friend to do it with, uh, please, on your, um, I think you've got little comment feedback cards here. See that I get paid to read the Bible with people. Please uh, let me earn my keep. Put your name down if you've never read the Gospel of Luke. Let me tea up coffee or lunch with you and read it with you. Let's conclude by turning the table on ourselves and asking ourselves the right questions. These four questions. Firstly, how am I a hypocrite? Secondly, how do I treat other people? And thirdly, what place does the Sabbath have in my life? And fourthly, what do I think of Jesus? Is he the Lord of the Sabbath? Deuteronomy, the reason for observing the Sabbath, the people of Israel reminded that you remember you were slaves in Egypt but then God freed you God liberated you, so observe the Sabbath to remember that the same commandment, commandment number 4 in the book of Exodus the reason actually is different I also to take a break from work six days you shall later and on the seventh to rest from your ways, observe the Sabbath of the Lord, but actually the reason given is different the reason given is that for in six days the Lord your God created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day he rested from all his labors. So there's both a creation reason for observing the Sabbath and a redemption or a saving reason for the Sabbath. And think first about the creation reason. How good is it to work really hard through the week and then take that off? Uh, I find that when I do that, that when I take a, a, a rest day, I, I love bushwalking and snorkeling. So last week I did a walk with a whole bunch of other people from the Sea Bridge to, to Manly. Uh, when I've taken a day off, I come to work Monday, recharge, ready to go. But other times, you know, when you just work, flat chat, seven days a week, week after week, you're the most horrible person in the office to get around. 
the most considerate thing you can do if you're working like that is to take a break for the sake of everyone else around you when you lose your time. Who's that person? Take it to the New Testament, and what does the New Testament teach about the Sabbath? The New Testament, uh, in, in Romans and other parts of the New Testament, will teach that one person considers this day as special, another person considers that day as special. Let them do whatever is right in their own conscience. They can do what they want. There's freedom. However, there's another part of the Bible which talks about how this Sabbath, this day of rest, this day of salvation, of redemption, ultimately look forward, looks forward to the ultimate rest, the rest in heaven. And in the book of Hebrews, it says that he who has this hope about this Sabbath rest in heaven, the best holiday, the best and most restful time ever, when people have peace with God and peace with each other, he who has this hope in him, Rest from his work even now. Uh, so you know, as I look forward to the rest in heaven, I'm going to take a break from my work even now. So, so that's my understanding of the place of the Sabbath, even for us in the 21st century. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.